Welcome to the Community Christian Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, simply go to cccsterling.org. we give Riley, her parents, and all the children one more round of applause for the great job they did. Outstanding. I mean, how could Riley miss with her parents, uh, the voices that they have? I think Riley's nine years old, and what a treat it was to hear and to see all the children. You know, over the years, I've learned that no one can tell the gospel story like children. God has given them incredible talents and matchless faith. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus said the best way to enter the kingdom of God is with the faith of a little child. And none of the children up here on stage this morning were acting. What you saw, what you witnessed coming from their little lives was straight from the heart. Because at six and seven years old, they already have a relationship with God. They know their creator God, and they have been convinced of his great love for them. And the rest of us should be inspired by that. We really should. Well, good morning and welcome to Community Christian Church on this beautiful Easter Sunday. I want to thank you if you're visiting with us for the first time. And also thank you for joining approximately one billion people who will be in church this weekend celebrating the empty tomb. The day Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. And for us as believers, there's no day like that day. I mean, how can you top a resurrection? You can't. And so today's Easter Sunday. That means last week was Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, in fulfillment to a prophetic word that was spoken 500 years earlier, Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And I want to quickly rehearse what happened on that occasion. It's recorded in Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 40. As Jesus went along riding the colt, some of the people spread their cloaks on the road, others cut down palm branches. And when Jesus came near the place called the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Hosanna to the son of David, they said. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if they keep quiet, the stones would cry out. All right, on Palm Sunday, Jesus and his disciples, along with a large crowd of people, they were all making their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. And the scripture tells us that when they got to the Mount of Olives, about two miles outside of Jerusalem, something spontaneous began to happen. All of the people in one accord began to praise and worship God on Jesus' behalf. They sang, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Some of the people cut down palm branches. Others began to wave them, and they laid them on the road in front of Jesus. And for the next 26 minutes, 
That's how long it took to get from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem. There was the most spectacular praise and worship parade the world has ever seen. And everyone was expressing their praise to God because of Jesus. Now, when they entered the city limits of Jerusalem, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, heard and saw what was going on. They put their false humility hats on, and they said to Jesus, rebuke the people and make them stop. And do you remember how Jesus replied? On this occasion, Jesus said, if the people were quiet, the stones would cry out. The stones would join the mountains and the oceans and the stars, and they would be compelled to praise the name of their God. Now, as a pastor, I've read and reviewed this Palm Sunday story countless times. I've preached on it because it comes around once a year, dozens of times. And in all of those times, I read right over the statement that Jesus made about the stones. I don't know about you, but I didn't give it much thought until a couple of weeks ago when I was preparing for this sermon and this service, and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, hey, if the stones cried out, what would they say? What would the stones say? And I know this whole idea of talking stones is a crazy one. But Jesus made the statement. And so last week, we used our imagination, we got a little creative, and we interviewed three stones. We asked three stones to stand up and tell their story. And today we're going to continue the madness. And speaking of madness, congratulations to the Michigan basketball team uh, for a job well done. I knew that would bring a rise out of you. If you even care, some of you, they're going to the finals. All right, so today we want to look at three more stone stories. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 27. It begins on Good Friday, Matthew 27 and verse 57. You can follow along on the screen. As Jesus, uh, pardon me, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb cut out of the rock. Then Joseph rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, Sir, while we were still alive, that deceiver said, that deceiver being Jesus, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body. And they will tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered, and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went. And they made the tomb secure by putting Pilate's seal on the stone and posting the guard. And after the Sabbath day at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, the angel rolled back the stone. The angel's appearance was like lightning. 
His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, and quickly now go tell his disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead. All right, I want to take a couple of minutes this morning and recap what we just read in my own words. On Good Friday, Jesus was crucified. We all know this story. He hung on the cross for about six hours, from 9 in the morning until 3 p.m. At 3 p.m., the scripture says that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and breathed his last breath. And all of his followers were in shock and total disbelief because they could not believe their Savior was dead. A short time later, Joseph of Arimathea, a secret disciple of Jesus, flying underneath the radar, he didn't want anybody to know that he was a Christian, he finally came out of the shadows, he went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. He claimed Jesus' body. Pilate gave it to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in fine linen, and put it in the tomb that he intended to be buried in. And then he rolled a huge stone in front of the entrance of that tomb. And the design of that stone was not to be moved ever again. It was to stay in that place for all time. Well, the next day, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they got together to go over what had happened. And they were a little upset because a couple of their informants told them that Jesus mentioned to his disciples three days after he died on the cross that he would rise from the dead. So they went to Pilate, and they gave Pilate that sob story, and they convinced Pilate to send to the cemetery where Jesus had been buried a guard of praetorian soldiers, a minimum of four, possibly six, and they were to secure the site 24 hours a day for the next couple of days, and they also placed on the entrance of the tomb, the stone, Pilate's signature and his royal seal, making it unlawful for anyone to tamper with that site. And after the Pharisees went and checked it out and they saw that the Praetorian Guard was in place and the seal was put on the stone, they clapped their hands and they said, it's done. It's over. But they were wrong. Because the very next day, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and a few other women all named Mary, that was a popular name in that day, they made their way to the tomb. But before they got there, the angel of the Lord showed up. And all by himself, that angel moved the stone out of the way. He pushed that stone aside like it was no big deal. And again, the women hadn't gotten there yet, but the guards were there. And the guards were on the payroll. They were supposed to guard that tomb. And there's four against one. But the scripture says they were so afraid 
They froze and became like dead men. They fell on the ground with their faces buried into the soil. And they had the life scared out of them. They didn't do anything. And they let the angel just do his thing. Now the women, on the other hand, they weren't afraid at all. They walked up to the angel like they were best friends. And the women in, encountered and engaged in conversation with the angel. And the angel says, I know why you're here. But Jesus is not dead. He's alive, just like he said he was. Now go and tell his disciples. Here's my question for you this morning. I want you to think about this. According to the scripture and the information that I just gave you and took time to detail it out, did anyone actually see Jesus wake up? I mean, was there anyone according to the scripture, that had been an eyewitness of the resurrection. Anyone see Jesus be raised from the dead? Only one. The stone. That's right, heard it in the back. The stone saw it all. The stone that was rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb had a bird's eye view. And one minute, from the stone's perspective, Jesus was dead. He was without breath, without life. There was no movement, no spiritual, no activity whatsoever. And then the very next minute, Jesus was alive again. And when Jesus woke up, at that very moment, he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, not only was he the Son of God, but he had the power to forgive sins. Now, that last statement I made is an extremely important statement. The second that Jesus resurrected from the dead, he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is who he says he is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and he has the power to forgive sins. Remember, that became an issue during his earthly ministry. Now, you may be here today, and... You've listened to the Easter story your whole life. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home. Maybe you've been in church for years and years. And from the time that you were very young, you know the, the Easter story. And maybe you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ with all of your heart. But do you realize what happened in the spirit realm that very first Easter Sunday? Do you really know that when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he broke the power of sin over us. And when he broke that power of sin over us, he defeated and destroyed death. And now once and for all, for the very first time, we have full assurance of life everlasting with the Father forever and ever. That's what happened. It's more than just a story. It's more than just the greatest story ever told. Something divine and spectacular took place that day. And yes, we all die a physical death. We're all going to experience death. But death no longer has the final say. Resurrection does because of what Jesus did. 
1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ, listen, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, then your faith is worthless. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, our faith is worthless. And the reason it's worthless is because we're still dead in our sins. See, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how much you put your trust in God or how much you love him or how many days you go to church. If the sin issue had not been dealt with, then our faith would have been worthless. But with the resurrection, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins and the sting of death is gone. And that's cause for celebration and shouting. That's who we are. And so here's the testimony of stone number one. The grave could not hold him. He's alive. He's alive because the grave could not hold him. The stone said, I watched it happen with my own eyes. I saw it take place. It was an incredible thing. And just so you know, stone number one said, Jesus ducked out of that tomb all by himself. Long before the angels showed up, he slipped through the rock like it was butter. And I wasn't moved out of the way to let Jesus out. The angel pushed me back to let you in because God wanted the whole world to know what I just witnessed, the grave can't hold him. That's the testimony of stone number one. That's the story and the praise that stone number one would give. Okay, let's look at stone number two. It's found just a few chapters earlier in Matthew 21. Let's begin with verse 33. Jesus said, now listen to another parable. A certain landowner planted a vineyard. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servants. They beat them and killed them. Then the landowner sent a larger group of servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw the son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate, let's kill him and take what he owns for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. Sound familiar? And when the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. And then Jesus asked, have you ever or never read the scriptures? Specifically, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone... The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Say that, the chief cornerstone. One more time. The chief cornerstone. You know, we don't use a cornerstone in modern day buildings these days. Not the way they originally did anyway. If a cornerstone is employed in a structure today, it's typically used for a decorative or historic purpose. 
It's used for ceremonial work or to commemorate a building dedication. But in ancient construction, the cornerstone was extremely important. Each and every building had a cornerstone. The only way that they would construct a building, typically out of stone or block, was by employing the use of a cornerstone. Now, I want to give you a pretty lengthy definition for cornerstone, but I want you to put your spiritual cap on and listen carefully because I'm taking the time to describe something much greater than just a building cornerstone. Remember, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was the principal or the main stone put in place first. All of the other stones were set in reference to the cornerstone. The cornerstone determined the position and the direction of the entire development. The cornerstone was not only the fixed or starting point for the building project itself, but since it was strategically placed at the corner of two walls, the cornerstone was used to unite all the other materials used in the complex. Simply speaking, the cornerstone is paramount. It was essential. It was needful. It was the only way to have a safe and stable structure. You had to have a cornerstone. And in the scripture, the Spirit of God jumps on this illustration and tells us, by God's design, by God's design, the master builder of all things, the creator of the heavens and earth and everything that we see in it, Everything you watched on the video, the time we took to go through all of that, God created all that, put everything in place according to his perfect design. And he did it with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. God made all of that, knowing that Jesus was the cornerstone. He was the first stone that was put in place. He has the name that's above every name. It's Jesus and no one else according to the Father. And yet, over the years and throughout history, Jesus and his name has been rejected and maligned. We've heard the gospel message preached every way you could possibly preach it. And still today, people toss aside the idea that Jesus is the cornerstone or the foundation of life like it's no big deal. People ridicule, they mock, and they disrespect the name of Jesus. Friend, it is a big deal. The Bible says that Jesus has been given a name that far exceeds any other name. And in John chapter 14 and verse 6, we're told that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man no woman, no person comes to the Father except through him. And some of you will be shocked and saddened to hear that the church of Jesus Christ is changing its stand on John 14, 6. Some in the church. Explaining that maybe we got it wrong and that there are other ways to God other than Jesus even though Acts 4.12 confirms what we learn 
in John 14, 6, because Acts 4, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. 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 And I understand that's not popular today. I understand it's not a popular message, but tell me when it was. Trace it all the way back to the first century church. Jesus was not a popular message back then either. Throughout the centuries, 2,000 years plus, it has never been widely accepted. Always just a remnant of people, usually on the heels of a revival. It's what we need more than anything else today, is a revival. People think that there are other ways to God. The scripture is very clear. And so here's the testimony of stone number two. You can't replace Jesus. No new ideas, no new philosophies, false religions, wrong religions will never replace Jesus. He's the way. He's the only way. He's not optional. He's not discretionary. If you want your life to count, if you want your house to stand, Jesus is your sure foundation. That's cause for celebration too. That leads us to the third and final stone. This story is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Simon Peter, when he wrote these verses, he said, as you come to Christ... The living stone, the chief cornerstone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, you also, you also, you, 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 like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You know, when you read through the Gospels, that's when you get a pretty good understanding of the very close relationship that Jesus had with Simon Peter. I mean, even at the Passover, when Jesus instituted the communion supper, at one point during the meal, he turned to his disciples and he said, I'm going to be arrested, and after my arrest, every one of you are going to abandon me. Peter raised his hand and said, not me, Lord. Even if the rest of these bums run, you can count on me to stand by your side to the very end. I will never bail on you. And I think Peter believed it. I think it was in his heart to stand by Jesus' side. I mean, he sold out to his ministry. He walked away from his fishing business. He was called to be a disciple, and he wanted that very badly. But then, like the rest of us, fear took over. And when his opportunity came, he disowned Jesus, denied that he even knew him, not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus reinstated him. Just like the rest of us, he gave him a second chance, he forgave him. And so here it is. Jesus now has gone back to be with the Father. Simon Peter's worked through all of his difficulties. He's now a very influential Christian apostle leading the church of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God directs him to write a couple of epistles, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in my mind, there's a bunch of different ways that Peter could have communicated to us a description of Jesus. 
he was going to write about Jesus, there's so many different avenues that he could have taken. Because he knew Jesus as shepherd and master and savior and Lord and healer. He also knew that Jesus was a pretty good carpenter. And he knew his way around a fishing boat. Jesus had all the good fishing holes. He knew where the fish were. But here in 1 Peter, Peter identifies and portrays Jesus how? As a stone. As a stone. Everything else he could have said, he makes this illustration even more valid by calling Jesus a living stone and a chief cornerstone. And then in brilliant fashion, Peter puts out a challenge to the rest of us as well. And he says, every single one of you are destined to be a part of his spiritual building. Are you getting it? Are you seeing it? Peter said, you're not just a random stone among multiple random stones. Your life isn't here. You're not here on this earth just by chance. You are a precious stone to God. You're a hewn stone, cut by hand stone, with precise and exact dimensions and specifications so that you and me and every single one of us can rightly align ourselves to the chief cornerstone and be a part of the kingdom of God. You see, the testimony of stone number two is that Jesus is the cornerstone. The testimony of stone number three is that we all have a part. We're living stones, and we need him. We can't live without him. You see, as living stones, we're a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. As a living stone, we belong to a powerful movement called the church. And you need the church, and the church needs you. The church is not a building. It's not mortar and rock and stone. It's people. And God chooses to work through his people. And Peter calls us living stones, rightly aligned, in proper place, perfectly offset to the chief cornerstone. And so again, here's the voice of stone number three saying to you and to me, you can't live without Jesus. You can do your best. You can try to hold out to the end. You can hang in there and desperately try to make it. But that's not living. That's surviving and existing. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 says it's the same power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in us. You believe that? All right, so the power that went to work in Jesus' dead body on Easter Sunday and raised him from the dead, that same power is available to us. You believe it? Jesus speaks resurrection life into us. And on the other side of that very first Easter, he empowers us to be living stones. Not dead stones, not just stones. Or wait, living stones that God uses for his spiritual house. So here's the testimony of the stones. If you listen to the stones, and this time we have a rolling stone. Number one, 
The grave could not hold him. Number two, new ideas and philosophies can never replace him. And number three, you can't live without him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you, Lord. It's a really important time. I'm going to ask you for about five or ten more minutes. So we have a closing song as well. You know, all morning long with everything that we planned and we put it all together with the idea in mind to tell you the gospel story. We wanted to take the service today and do the best job that we could to communicate to you what the gospel message of Jesus is all about. And I can sum up that gospel message in two words. That's it, just two words. Good news. You see, some people, they don't know that the gospel is good news. They think it's bad news. They think, they think it's news that separates us and divides. It's good news, friend. And here's the good news. There is an open invitation for every single one of us in this place to enter into a loving and intimate relationship with our God through his son, Jesus Christ. No exceptions, no exclusions. That dramatic invitation for us to be a part of God's work is available to every single person, every man, every woman, every child. No other religion on the planet makes an offer like that. And here's the most spectacular part of the good news. You can find this throughout the Bible. You can come to God just as you are. You don't have to make any changes. You don't have to go and get your act together. You don't have to sign up to be a member anywhere. You just take a step toward God. Scripture says when you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. If you have an open heart, a sincere heart, and you're responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, you do that, God will do the rest. So I'm going to ask you to just listen to the words of this song, and then I'm going to come back and close in prayer. I'm going to ask for just a couple of more moments. I promise I'm not going to drag this out. Can I get you to just bow your head for one last minute? Just before we close out our time together, I want you to think about the experience you had when you finally surrendered your life to God. Those of you who are Christians, those of you who have a relationship with God, I want you to try to go back and recall when the Easter story became a reality for you and you understood, maybe for the first time, that God loves us so much he sent his son and Jesus loves us so much he died on the cross. Just think about that for a minute. Now, there might be some people in here that don't have that memory because you have never fully surrendered your life to God. You've never come to the cross, laid down your shame and laid down your sin. Because maybe you never knew that on the cross, Jesus 
dealt with the sin issue. That it was the sin in our lives that separated us from God. And that's why Jesus went to the cross and because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he broke the power of sin over us and death no longer has dominion on us. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you knew all the details of the Easter story, but you didn't understand that spiritual truth. We have been set free to come to God as we are. And I understand humanity holds us back. When we're in a bad place, when we're living a dark life and we have problems, it's hard to come to a God. But I appeal to you today, as sincerely as I can, he's a loving God who accepts you and extends invitation to you to come. You see, heaven isn't about what you can do for God. Heaven is all about what Jesus has already done for us. And so in just a moment, if you sense the prompting of the Lord in this place, and many of you do, I, I can tell, people responded in the first service. If you sense like, this is my moment, this is my time, I want to give my life to God. In, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and then you can put it back down and I promise you I'm not going to give you any other instructions after that. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. This is going to be a private moment between you and God. But I want to bring you to a decision this morning. It's so important. You know, Billy Graham just went home to be with the Lord a short time ago and been reading a lot of his material, a lot of the things that have been said about his life and I learned just recently, I didn't know this, that every time he preached, he said, I preached for a decision. Look, he was called of God to be an evangelist. He knew that. He gave his ministry glory to God. He put effort into everything he did to please his God, but he was preaching with all of his heart for a decision, not so he could pad his own stats or say, this is how many people I got saved. He was concerned about his listeners, the people in the audience. And so he pressed them for a decision. Friend, if you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't know he died on the cross for you, that he took that bloody beating in your place so that the veil that separates you from God could be destroyed, I beg of you, just Say, God, I want to know that truth more. And I repent of my sins. And I come to the cross. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. Raise your hand. Thank you. Just hold it up for a second. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anyone else? Hold your hand up for a second. Let God have an opportunity to see you. you know, give him a chance. Anyone else? All right, let's all stand. I'd like all of us to repeat this little prayer. It's called a sinner's prayer, but it's so much more than that. It's a salvation prayer. Let's all pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today with the faith of a little child. I believe the Easter story and the miracle of the empty tomb. Because of your great love for me, I choose to humble myself 
and repent of my sins. I pray you would extend your mercy and grace and forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you and I accept your invitation to declare Jesus the Lord of my life. Amen. If you just said that little prayer, maybe for the first time, maybe it's been a while and you, you mean it, there was some activity taking place in heaven over the last couple of seconds as the angel of the Lord who's ever assigned to that job was writing your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what happened. That's what happened. We would like to help you move on in your faith from this place. See, this is just the beginning. Now comes the building. You're a living stone. And so if you raise your hand, if you said that prayer, if you feel like this is your time, I'm going to ask you to just take a minute and stop by the next steps desk in the lobby. We have a little gift for you, a little Bible that we want to give to you and kind of encourage you uh, in what's next for you. If you're visiting with us for the first time, thank you so much for coming. If you'll stop by the same table, we have a gift for you as well. We invite everyone to come back next Sunday and be with us for the start of our What If series. Thank you so much for coming today. God bless you. Have a blessed and happy Easter.